Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. Today, we're welcoming Mark Elsden to the show. Mark lives and works at the intersection of money and meaning as an entrepreneur, nonprofit executive, author, and speaker. He is the author of We Aren't Broke, about the use of faith-based property and investments for social enterprise and investing. Mark's new book, Gone for Good, Negotiating the Coming Wave of Church Property Transition, comes out in January 24 and is available for pre-order. Mark is a co-founder of Rooted Good, which supports catalytic and innovative church leaders working on property development, money and mission alliance, and social enterprise. He's the executive director at Press House and Press House Apartments on the University of Wisconsin's Madison campus. He's principal at Threshold Sacred Development and past president of the Board of Directors for Working Capital for Community Needs, an impact investing fund that provides microfinance funding for the working poor in Latin America. Mark has a BA in psychology from the University of California, Berkeley, a Master of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary, and an MBA from the University of Wisconsin School of Business. He is an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church USA and lives in Madison, Wisconsin. Mark is an avid cyclist and considers it a good year when he rides more miles on his bike than he drives in his car. Let's welcome Mark to the show. All right, welcome to the show, Mark Elsden. Thanks so much for being here. Anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you? Well, the, my bio ends with a reference to um, riding my bike, which is, if anyone knows me well, the sort of defining thing about what I do with my time. And in, it is uh, winter in Wisconsin at the moment, so I am uh, preparing to ride in the snow. So you can keep that in mind if you're in a warmer climate. Well, it looks like if I if that's a real window behind you, it looks like you got blue skies today, so... We do. We do. Riding home? Guys, but it, it is cold and I'm riding my bike home later. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I was actually going to ask you how that's going, the bike mileage versus the car mileage. It's going, I think I've got it again this year. So yeah. that's very more impressive. Bike, more bike mileage than car mileage. Yeah. That's very impressive. Well, thanks so much for your time and looking forward to having this conversation. Share if you would. You've been on the pod before, but share if you would just about kind of your faith journey what that looked like in the past and what that looks like today. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I'm a Presbyterian minister. Um, I grew up, uh, um, my parents are immigrants from England. Um, they were, uh, grew up church of England. And then I grew up going to a, a Lutheran church. Um, I actually opened, um, my new book gone for good with, uh, a whole series of stories of, um, uh, ways that different churches shaped me over the years, everything mm. from giving me my family name um, in Northern England to uh, a place where I would hide out and play basketball instead of going on long runs during cross-country practice in high school <laughs> to meeting my spouse, um, uh, serving at a, uh, a meal for um, food insecure people in Berkeley, California, and all these other stories of way churches have shaped me. And so um, yeah, I'm very conscious of, uh, of the ways 
um, that I am who I am because of uh, the connections I've had to faith communities over the years. Awesome. What's a spiritual practice that you'd say is sustaining you right now? Yeah, I, um, uh, you know, in addition to riding my bike and uh, as sort of a, an active prayer and an active uh, sort of communal living, um, I recently got a dog. I think you have a dog, but I recently got a dog. Mm-hmm. And uh, walking my dog in the neighborhood has uh, become a really nice spiritual practice. Just, um, you know, a chance to take a break. Um, days that I work from home, I like to just get out for a little brief walk after lunch and um, just to pause. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been really trying to focus on on that sort of Sabbath act, even if um, I do like to take a full Sabbath day, but sometimes it's just a Sabbath act in the middle of a day is, mm-hmm. is as powerful as anything. Um, so I've been enjoying that. Yeah, I'll be doing that when we're done here. So yeah. recommend. <laughs> well, the dog doesn't. The dog doesn't let you kind of. My dog, at least, doesn't yeah. let me sort of run around the block. He likes to poke around and take right. his time and smell everything, and that forces you to slow down. There's something uh, something powerful about that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Good. Good. Well, as as Mark hinted at, we're talking about his new book and uh, called "Gone for Good." And Mark, you have to tell us as we're recording this: is this is this available yet for purchase? I imagine when this releases, it maybe when is it coming out? How about that? The book comes out uh, January 9th, so um, it is available for pre-order now, and any pre-orders before that ship, I think, on the 9th, but January 9th is, I I actually have the book here, my copy of it, but um, it's available to the public January 9th. Great. So when this releases, it should be available for folks. So check it out at minimum if this comes out early for pre-order. But we're going to kind of talk through a little teaser video that Mark uh, highlighted on his website, kind of talking about the book and talk through some themes here. So the first thing in this video you shared, and Mark, I'll try to make sure that's included in the show notes, just so folks get that same uh, that same video. But the first thing that jumped out to me when I watched that is you you share a statistic that an estimated one hundred thousand buildings, and again I want to say that number one hundred thousand buildings will be sold or repurposed by 2030. Mm-hmm. So right. that number kind of astounds me. So do you yeah. want to talk through that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, so I think the first thing to note is that these are estimates. There's no, um, there's really no um, really clear data out sure, there. Sure. Um, even most denominations don't even know how many buildings are associated with their denomination. And so, yeah. um, but the estimates that a number of different people have made um, on this issue are somewhere in that range of 100,000 churches closing or buildings being sold or repurposed. Sort of, you know, those aren't exactly the same thing, but um, right. But they're connected, and that's that amounts to a third or a quarter of all churches in the United States. Wow, um, it's a it's a huge number, right? So that's the reason the book is. Uh, references the coming wave of church property transition. And it really is a a massive wave that's going to crash upon the shores of American Christianity in the next decade. Now, this doesn't mean all churches are going to close and all buildings are going to be sold and new churches will still happen and emerge and plants will happen and some churches will continue to grow. All of that, you know, that's all true. God's not going anywhere. Right. (laughs) You know, but there's a massive change happening in the way people connect with God and engage in their faith, and that's translating into a different use of buildings and property. 
Um, I've actually been thinking about this a little bit recently in terms of kind of the blockbuster video moment that we had in the early 2000s where, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was a shift from going down to the blockbuster store and renting a video off the shelf, taking it home, returning it three days later. Suddenly we were getting our video, our DVDs in the mail um, through Netflix. And then it wasn't very long after that that we were just streaming them. Um, And you know, people still want the experience of watching a movie. They still want to watch a movie, but the uh, the spaces, the physical spaces where they access those movies just change dramatically. Mm-hmm. And I think there's something similar going on um, in people's spiritual life. Uh, they still want, I believe, experiences of the divine. They want to connect with God. They want to connect with meaning, with each other, with purpose. But it's not happening as much in um, Sunday morning worship services and Sunday school Christian education classes, which is what we built for right. for, cent- for decades and decades. We built buildings for those things. Um, and so, you know, but just kind of berating ourselves for that is not particularly helpful. It'd be like telling the Blockbuster Video store manager that they just need to try harder and put right. a new sign outside, right. and, you know, kind of just do something better. And then people will come back into the store. That's never, would never have happened. So it doesn't matter how much they tried, right? And there's a bit of that dynamic going on in the church today. It's, you know, it's just a change in the way people are connecting with God. And um, again, not everyone. There's, yeah. there's always going to be worship, corporate worship, and uh, there will be good Sunday school classes and all of that. And there will be traditional church buildings and experiences, but just not as much of it as we had in the in the past. Yeah, you know, if I can stay on that blockbuster video theme for a second, um, my wife and I went to look at renting a new movie streaming on Amazon. It was like ten bucks, and I was kind of like, a new video release at Blockbuster wasn't even like five bucks back in the day. So right, I don't know what right. that's about. And there's far less overhead. Anyway, I digress yep. there. So I, I think a key question, if I remember correctly, you ask in the video is what will be left and how will it affect communities and neighborhoods? So you've obviously given a lot of thought to this. I imagine the book really tackles these questions. Do you want to share some thoughts you've had and some of your uh, contributors have had? Yeah. Um, so, you know, one of the questions I have is is not only what does this mean for the church or church-going people, which is obviously significant, but what does it mean for the social infrastructure of communities, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the spaces where things happen, like where will the Girl Scout troop meet um, and where will the AA groups meet? I mean, mm-hmm. loads of AA groups meet in churches. Where yeah. will we vote? In right. my community, voting happens at, um, at churches all over the city. If those churches are something else in 10 years, where are we going to vote? Um, where will people pick up food at the food pantry? Where will they meet significant others? And where will kids' violin lessons practice? I mean, there's just endless things that happen in churches in addition to the spiritual life that is going to be missing. Um, and I don't think we fully sort of rec- you know, recognize that, that, that reality of where all that space is going and what it becomes. Um, and that concerns me, you know, and especially if that space moves from being a socially oriented space to being basically privately owned, yeah, um, and monetized by 
largely wealthy people, investors, developers, and so on, then we've lost a lot. We've lost a lot of infra- social infrastructure with that, with that change in, in use. And I think that's a big deal. I think it's going to really impact communities in ways that we don't fully fathom yet if we just let that happen let all me, over the place. Let me give an example, just because I just saw something while I was eating lunch on Threads. In my, in my metro area, there's an old Baptist church uh, in a neighborhood that I actually lived in when I was a teenager in Denver. And I think they tore down part of the church and built condos. And then the, the real historic part of the, the, the sanctuary, once you know it, was a brewery. And now that brewery is actually closing. So again, there's this question of what's going to happen to that space. And of course, because I'm totally a church nerd, I said, hey, like make it, make it a church again. Unlikely to happen. Someone else said it's probably going to become a dispensary. But it kind of speaks to your point there of these public spaces becoming less and less accessible to the public. And I think that's certainly a a dynamic that I've noticed is this kind of privatization of space where you have to you have to essentially pay to get anywhere. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're you've noticed this too in, in others have talked about like public libraries are one of the few kind of public spaces available in many communities and they yep. themselves are being underfunded. Right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the partners for sacred places who has a couple chapters in the book, they did a study on the halo effect of churches. And one of the amazing things they found was that in one area that they studied, I think it was 87% of visits to the churches in that community had nothing to do with worship. Wow. It was just community activity that was going on, right? And I, I mean, in my view, that's part of what it means to be the church. Mm-hmm. Obviously, worship is central, but also these other things are too. I mean, that's how that's how Christian life is lived out in the world, in my view, right? It's through that sort of stuff. And so, you know, yeah, I, and I, the privatization and the kind of um, closing off of mm-hmm. space. And again, if it happens once or twice in a neighborhood or in a city, that's one thing. But when it happens with 40 out of 100, right. that's a completely different story, right? So yeah. if one church building becomes high-end condos, all right, maybe that's not a huge deal. But again, if 25, 30, 40% of them in a city do, do then you've got a real change going on. And as you noted, it's not going back. Right. Like, <laughs> like, you know, once those are no longer churches and they're owned privately, they're not going to be churches again and not in any foreseeable future. I mean, who knows? Obviously, things may change and, you know, religious life in America might look really different in a hundred years. But mm-hmm. in our sort of lifetime yeah. and vision, it's not going back to being a church. Uh, um, so we have kind of one chance to transition these properties. They're going to change one way or the other. It doesn't matter whether we want them to or not. They just they are going to sort of like blockbuster. But the question before us is what are we going to do about that and how do we sort of intentionally think about um, those transitions in a way that leaves good in their place? That's why I titled the book Gone for Good. Yeah. Gone for good as in something good coming out or are they gone forever? Yeah, um, the double meaning. I love it. it. <laughs> Yeah. So there's a there's a church that I, I shouldn't name names here, so I won't. There's a church in my neck of the woods that I, is open right now, and I'm have a aspiration of becoming their pastor because my thought is long term, like one way or another, that property is going to become condos, 
Like they can either develop it thoughtfully and intentionally in some capacity, or it's just going to get turned into all condos one way or another. So you propose what you say, thoughtful intervention. So talk about what that might look like. Yeah, I mean, I think what I'm suggesting is that we shape this transition rather than letting it just shape us. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think if we just let it unfold, we're going to be unhappy with the outcome when we look back, say, 20 years from now. I mean, if market forces are all that drive, they will push us towards financial outcomes and not spiritual or social outcomes that, you know, are about flourishing of neighborhoods. So, in my view, thoughtful intervention is the act of intentionally seeking good in our community with the use of property, not just disposing of it, monetizing it, or walking away from it, um, which is very often what happens in the end. And so, yeah, it's exactly what you described. Is that property you're describing and thinking of is going to be, it's going to look different. There's just no question about it. So the what is the looking different going to be, right? And is if it's going to be housing, that could be really cool. But what kind of housing? Who's going to own the housing? Mm-hmm. Where's the where's the money going when that that housing is done? Um, who's going to live in that housing? Mm-hmm. Is that going to contribute to flourishing in that neighborhood, or is it going to just further gentrify the neighborhood in some way? Or, you know, those are all the sorts of questions that we as the church have a chance to decide now, and we won't have a chance to decide later. I mean, once a property is sold or redone, that's it. Like we're out of, we're out of that opportunity to make, uh, to influence what will happen there. I appreciate what you're saying about the gone, you know, the kind of the, the plan words gone for good or gone for, you know, contributing good because one pastor I've spoken to, you know, he really lamented this idea like, we're never getting back these kind of downtown, really um, core locations that were really vital parts of the community. So, what do you what do you tell churches or middle judicatories? What kind of wisdom or or thoughts do you ask them to consider before you know they sell a property? even if it's just because of the the location, for instance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Rooted Good, one of the organizations I work with, we actually designed a guide how to sell well, which Mm. is all about, it sort of takes people through this decision-making process. And it's exactly that, right? It's thinking about, first of all, are there alternatives to selling? Because there are many times alternatives to selling. Mm -hmm. I often will ask people simply, why not give it away? Give it away to a, different church community that can use it or give it give the land back to indigenous peoples that lived there before as an act of restoration if mm-hmm. we're not using it anyways i i'd rather see that happen potentially than sort of monetizing just it just a cash for cow. private yeah right? yeah as a, exactly so or could we do social enterprise on it or could we partner in some way and develop some at least some housing or something or other that is you know contributes to the neighborhood and you know, there's lots of different alternatives, but if you are going to sell it, then there's questions around what is the, what are you going to do with the proceeds right. of that money? Um, because there's better and not better things we can do with uh, with the money when it comes in, right? Um, and who are we selling it to? Because again, you have one chance to decide who to sell it to. Yeah, um, I'm not opposed to selling, um, but I will say that I think that is a cautionary you know, um, word and that we won't get them back. Um, so I, I'm also the pastor of press house, the Presbyterian campus center at university of Wisconsin. And 
our story is super interesting because there were three campus ministry centers, Presbyterian, sold about the same time or attempted to be sold in the late 1990s. Um, our synod sold the campus center at the University of Minnesota and at the University of Iowa, mm-hmm. and they tried to sell the one here at the University of Wisconsin. But local people in Madison resisted that sale hmm. and um, instead held on to it. And we, we redeveloped the property. We have student housing um, on the property. And now fast forward 20 years, there's no active Presbyterian ministry at the University of Minnesota or Iowa. Yeah, There's no property at those schools. The money that was gained is basically gone. Yeah. Here in Wisconsin, we serve a thousand students a year through our ministry. Our property is worth like $25 million and we generate two and a half million dollars a year in revenue. It's like a completely different right. <laughs> outcome. Right. Um, you know, it's so starkly different because we decided to do something different than just dispose of it. Now, again, there is too much property churches own. We will have to dispose of in some way, mm-hmm. but we, can influence the way that is done and what ends up going in there um, at those moments, at those key moments. Yeah. So we've kind of been talking around this and I want to ask this directly. Uh, what do we, how about, how about the loss of sacred space? I'm a big believer, I'll say in sacred space. And to me, at least there's something that as much as I understand the practicalities of like a multi-function worship space, I also having been someone who's worshiped in a elementary school gymnasium, like know what the downsides of that are. So talk about what do you think about the loss of sacred space or why, or does sacred space matter in these contexts? Yeah, it does. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, um, I mean, I I believe God's present in all circumstances and all places, not only church or worship, but there is sort of a special promise that God meets us in sacred spaces and sacred practices like the sacraments Mm -hmm. and uh, and spaces that are set aside for us to pause, you know, to put aside the normal activity of life, to think differently. And space does that, right? When you enter into well-designed space Mm -hmm. or into space it can really it changes the way we think and i think we need that we need those transitional experiences to allow us to encounter god in different ways so absolutely um there is something really valuable about sacred space and there is something sad about seeing um a lot of sacred space in the united states decline um and not just the the community the church's decline but the space itself right you know, deferred and things that they start, they leak, they, yeah. they've got issues, right? And it, you know, um, but that is the way things go. Things age, things change. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm, I, I absolutely think there is a place for sacred space. I think what, we, what we're doing now or thinking about now is how, how does that get sort of re-envisioned, right? As part of these multi-use projects, if they're being redeveloped. Mm-hmm. And how does it get right-sized a little bit? Do we need maybe as much sacred space? Maybe yeah. not, Yeah, right? But we still need it, for sure, yeah. This is, re- this is a related question. And I'm thinking about this in the context of, again, like the, the prevalence of like multi-purpose space and, it seems like we're really as a, as a society, like thinking, unless you're an NFL team, right? Then you get your own dedicated stadium for $5 billion. 
But in most other contexts, it's multi-use, multi-purpose, multi-everything. And I think about, and I may be wrong in this, but my thought is that that kind of thinking has crept its way into the church and that a church has got to kind of prove its value to the community through multi-usage. And I'm curious, this is kind of a big theological question, like, is a is a church building or a space in the church existing only for worship and faith formation? Like, is that enough? And I know that's a loaded question, but I'm kind of curious your thoughts there. Yeah, I mean, I think it is enough. I don't think we need, I don't think we have to have something beyond that. I think that is perfectly acceptable as a use of space. I think there's a couple of responses I have to that. One is, Yes, it is enough, but again, there's too much of it mm. for how for how it, it's again, it's more a matter of scale and and sort of use and size than it is like purpose in some ways. Mm-hmm. So um there's just too much of that only space. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> right, for the number of people using it in that way yeah. and for the and for the and for what it can do in a community. So that's one sort of thought there. And then the other is I do think we I like to think a bit beyond sort of the divide between sacred and, you know, worship and faith formation and in other activities. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in my view, giving church land back to indigenous peoples that were there before the church, that's an act of worship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if that space is more than we need, then it's an act of worship to do that. Or turning an unused Christian education wing into like a social entrepreneur incubator space. Mm-hmm. It's not like it isn't, it's not as if worship's not enough, but doing that is, is an act of faith formation, or it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, providing long-term, you know, housing at cost people can afford is a way of living out our faith commitments of justice and loving our neighbors. So yeah. I would frame a lot of those activities as expressions of, of our worship life and our faith life, if they're done, again, if they're done sort of well, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, so it's a combination of there's of of a bit of right sizing of the amount of that space, and then also of thinking about different ways to engage with with people. And you know, while I work with young people, and they are very interested in what does it mean to live out faith in the day to day, and not just in Sunday, right? And these are ways of doing that. Yeah. Um, but I would never say that it's not enough to have you know worship in a space is not enough. It is enough. Um, um, but there's also other, at the same time, there's also other expressions that space can be used for. So kind of both. Yeah. Yeah. That's a helpful, that's a helpful response. Let me ask this too. And this is more a practical question. That's maybe not so much for churches that are thinking about selling or, or repurposing to something non-church related, but I, this is this is a dynamic that I've seen that I'm curious how you you would counsel churches. Is I, I think there can be a bit of this what I'll call like a tail wagging the dog scenario where again from my from my bias, like I believe the purpose of a church first and for first and foremost purposes is worship and faith formation, right? So that's that's my bias at least. Where I've seen these dynamics where you get rental space or um child care, whatever. And these kind of other revenue streams that can support the mission and ministry of the church kind of become almost a tail wagging the dog scenario, at least from my perspective. So I'm kind of curious, like, how would you, how would you, uh, 
don't know, council churches, like, like if they're like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to develop like, like y'all did, like we're going to develop a, a living situation, a residences on our property. How do we, um, how do we organize it? How do, how do we do it in a way that it's, we're, we're really living out of our mission and our ministry? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple different directions that that can take. So sometimes for churches, the wise approach is to sort of make use of land and buildings simply differently for the good of their community. And that might involve a partnership with somebody to develop, you know, housing or something like that. And they might continue their worship life in a smaller mm-hmm. part of that. Right. They just, again, it's sort of like fitting down the size a bit right. and using that excess, you know, for, um, for other things. I mean, you know, there's a statistic that most churches, um, even before the COVID pandemic, were only in use like 17% of the week. Right. Like pretty poor right. utilization of a really valuable resource, right? Um, and if a church is interested in doing social enterprise or sort of development that really is connected directly to them and their mission, then I we always encourage them to think about who they are and who their neighborhood is and how, how those things connect. So mm-hmm. Rooted Good offers a Good Futures Accelerator program um, that is designed for churches. It's about a seven-month program that churches go through to think about using their buildings and land for social enterprise, for exactly what you're describing, but to do it really thoughtfully, not just to be like, hey, I read an article about right. X, let's do that. Yeah. But to start all the way back with who are we, who has God called us to be over time, what connects to our congregation deeply. You know, the projects I've seen that are most interesting are the ones where it's tied in with some historical legacy the church is interested in mm-hmm. or has been a part of. So like a taking a really powerful um, uh, food pantry ministry and then expanding it and turning that into a grocery co-op owned by the neighborhood. Hmm. So you turn like this sort of beloved 30, 40, 50 year ministry into something that's got a new version of that, but it's still tied in with something historic and right. something that's like deeply rooted in who that church is and who the neighborhood is. Um, not just picking some idea off the shelf and innovating for innovation's sake, but really trying to ground it in something more meaningful and deeper. And I know you, this was a throwaway comment that you weren't meaning, but I'm thinking like, or not just like leasing office space to X slash Twitter. <laughs> for- yeah. I mean, so we, we actually have a tool about how to rent well too. Yeah. Really good has another guide about how to rent well. And we, we describe, we talk about that sort of, um, dynamic of the money and mission alignment like Mm -hmm. you know and and there are times sometimes we're just maybe renting for money's sake to support other parts of mission makes sense but only doing that intentionally and knowing that's what you're doing yeah but but you're right and not doing it in a way that sort of undermines your mission right you're uh, you're trying to accomplish so um absolutely the more we can align money and mission the better yeah 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 what do you think that and this is kind of a three-part question. So if you want to enter all of it or just take one aspect, what do you think that churches or pastors or medical judicatories can do to prepare? Maybe that's too big of a question. Like maybe what are some warning signs? Uh, uh, feel free to answer this how you f- think is best. Yeah. I mean, I guess there's a few things I would suggest. One is I think we need to be real about where it's going. Mm-hmm. I think w- that, you know, to not sort of, hide or assume. I think I'm 
sometimes will bluntly say in many settings we're past we're way past the point of sort of talking about revitalization yeah. of all of these yeah. places i'm i love revitalization right. there's nothing that's great right. but but in many settings we're past that point and we need to be real about okay that's not going to happen in this particular instance yeah. so then what so then what so be real about it and then do it earlier than later the other thing we're seeing that's really a struggle is when churches wait too long and there's not many people left to make any good decisions. Yeah. <laughs> and then they have no choice but to sort of just stick a for sale sign out in the front yard and sell it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you really, it takes years. And especially if you're going to do development, many, many right. years, you know, um, three, five, seven, ten sometimes years to do a good, thoughtful Talk development. property development, right. Yeah. yeah. And so you can't just sort of say, well, we, we're going to run out of money next December yeah. and uh, and then let's do something about it now. It's too right. late at that right. point. Right. So um, I think thinking ahead is really is really important. And there are like I'd say there are expert resources like the, you know, good rooted good. Our accelerator program is super helpful. It really works. Twenty six churches went through a pilot and all of the ones that finished um, found it ninety uh, percent found it helpful, and basically all of them have started some new venture of some kind. Sometimes quite simple, um, uh, and you know, small relative, and and then some of them are doing big development projects and everything in between. And so there are resources out there, I think that that are helping churches and, and judicatories help churches to think differently about this about this stuff. And then ultimately, I'd say just let's hold on to hope. I mean, mm-hmm. for me, this is actually a hopeful moment. There's a lot of kind of like, oh gosh, it's closing, right. it's right, whatever, whatever. And yeah, there's sadness for sure, in the same way that when um, our beloveds uh, die, and we are sad about that. But we're a, uh, at least I believe we're a faith of resurrection mm-hmm. and new life, and um, and there's there's hopefulness and new expressions of what it means to be the Christian Church that are emerging, and uh, so just holding tightly to that as we navigate this coming decade, I think is going to be really important. Yeah. I appreciate that word about not waiting too long because I'm, I'm imagining the, you know, the kind of stereotypical church where they've got nine people left who are over all over 80, like God bless those people. I'm sure they're, they're dedicated and love their church, but they're probably not going to have the, the energy, right. Or the passion to really go do a big undertaking. So that's very helpful to think about. Like, so what does that do? I imagine I'm giving you a chance, I guess, to plug your company here. Is that one of the things y'all try to do is really like work through some strategic planning with churches um, and say, hey, like, you know, if we get, if we get in this kind of financial pinch or our or our attendance numbers look like this or, or we really like feel like this is what God is calling us to, like, how, how does that work with churches? If, if, if that's something you do, I guess. Yeah, I mean, not exactly what you described, but like I said, I mean, the accelerator program that we have is designed for okay. churches to do on their own. Okay. They, they can they have the access, they get a box sent to them in the mail with all the guides they need and all these these beautiful table sheets and some games and gamified activities for their leadership team and for the congregation to do. And then they access some video content and they work through this process together that leads them to uh, some ideas about what to actually do, some actual ideas around social enterprise. Um, and it, again, it's not sort of a general revitalization curriculum or a general mm-hmm. Bible study curriculum, but it's really focused on, okay, we have these assets, this building, this land, um, we have 
vision of maybe some ideas, maybe not. And we have people that live around us and that uh, work around us. And what can we do to um, to put forward new expressions of our ministry in the world through uh, these uh, resources? And and it works. People do it, and it works. Um, and so you know, we're really excited about that because we think there's a lot of potential for that uh, uh, to move folks forward. They'll still need to find partners when they get through the other side on that, some of that stuff, especially if you're developing software, yeah. you can't do that on your own. But um, we've seen so many churches try to skip over this discernment phase and just go straight to sort of real estate transactions. And that is uh, is not particularly helpful Um way to uh to start we think it's really helpful to start with like grounding in who we are mm-hmm. yeah. what we're about what ideas are um what our theological commitments are who our neighborhood is what do we want to see um what does flourishing look like right and going from there uh and then the other technical stuff works itself out um after those other parts are clear yeah that's a good word whether it's something as big as property development or as, as little as like starting a new ministry, like really yeah. knowing like, does this flow out of who we are and what we want to be? That's a good, that's a good reminder. So let's, let's do last question here before we take a break. Uh, I wonder like, do you have like a, a, a nightmare scenario where you wake up in 2030 and you're like, Oh my goodness, this has come to pass. Like, or do you have, yeah, and then conversely, I mean, like, what's think, your, like, what's your dream scenario, if that makes sense? Yeah, I mean, I think the nightmare scenario I've sort of hinted at, which is, you know, 20 years from now, we have, like, 40% less socially oriented property, church property, and so on, that's uh, now no longer being used for the community in any way, but is privately owned, mm-hmm. that's been monetized for, for private purposes will and and is never accessible again i mean one of the guy, one of the folks that wrote a chapter in gone for good um walks by regularly the the location where he was ordained as a pastor mm-hmm. but that location is now um simply a, a high-rise high-end condo building yeah. that you can never he can't even get into right you know and nobody no, nothing happens there besides a few wealthy people living there and again there's nothing wrong with people living somewhere right. but but that's a shame when that then if that happens to all these properties right. to me that's the worst case scenario um if it happens to a few of them fine but of all of them that would be a real real shame i think the best case is sort of it's not that right it's buildings and land that are housing people that need places to live and feeding people through grocery co-ops and engaging people through community centers and restoring people through land back and inspiring people through social entrepreneurship, it's being the church with our buildings and land, right? It's like doing the things that the church can do and, and um, joining in with communities and with, you know, restorative, justice-oriented, life-giving activity and um, living the good news out with our buildings and land. And I think that actually can also happen. That's the other possible place we end up. Um, I'm hoping it's more of the latter than the former. Yeah. I watch a lot of like urban planning type YouTubes and people who don't come across as like real devoted to the church. Even they like mention like what a loss it is when an old historic church is torn down or just turned into condos. Like people, even in the community who may not be a part of a, a weekly attender recognize the value that these spaces are. So I'm with you. Yep. 
I'm hoping for something more positive here. Let's take a break and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Mark Elsden. Mark, thanks so much for your time. Uh, the book is, again, Gone for Good. should be available wherever books are sold, so check it out. Mark, you can take these closing questions as seriously or not as you'd like to. Um, although, I, I don't know if people would be cool if you answered about selling the Vatican for, for condos. So if you're Pope for a day, besides selling the Vatican for condos, what would you do? <laughs> Yeah, if I was Pope for the day, well, um, I, I assume you mean if we, if we, if I had the ability to influence the church yes. on a scale like yes. that. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'll answer it fairly, sort of technically, because this is my area, I guess, and keep it in this space. Uh, so, uh, my previous book, which we talked about a couple of years ago mm-hmm. on this podcast, "We Aren't Broke," is focused on. Uh, church investment money mostly. Mm-hmm. So I did have a chapter in there about property, but mostly it was about investment money, savings, and 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 and, and I my real dream would be to see both these pieces come together. Mm. So putting church investment money, taking it out of the stock market and out of traditional investments, at, at least some of it, mm-hmm. and moving it into investing in social enterprise and development on church property. Yeah, and bringing those two powerhouses together. Um, it's literally trillions of dollars uh, around the world of of assets, both property assets and investment assets, and putting them together to work um, for mission-oriented uh, social enterprise activity is just super exciting to me. So um, it might it's not it's maybe not funny, but it is what I th- it is a dream that I have. If I had the opportunity to say, let's do this. Um, Let's do this. We've got what we need. We have everything there. Let's just get on and and do some cool stuff with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You really got the spirit of the question. So good job there. (laughs) (laughs) A a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life? Yeah, that's interesting. It's actually not something I think about very often, to be totally honest with you. But um, I did think about it when you you shared this this question with me that... um, I'd love to meet this guy, St. Cuthbert. He's a 7th century saint from northern England and near the Scottish border, what is now the Scottish border. Um, And in part because there's a connection to um, my family name that came out of a church where St. Cuthbert's body lay at some point Hmm. many centuries ago. But also, he was the most remarkable person. He lived on this tiny island um, called Lindisfarne, Holy Island, off of the um, east coast of England. And then that island that's so tiny was too big for him. So he moved to a tinier island off of that <laughs> island and lived by himself um, amongst the birds. And uh, uh, he's just got some amazing stories. This is way back 7th century Christianity, um, some of the earliest European Christianity that existed. Um, so I just think it'd be really interesting to talk with somebody like that. I have no idea what they would think of any of what we right. you know, have discussed today, but it's... Uh, It'd be fascinating. Yeah. yeah. What do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Well, again, in the theme that we're at right today, I think we're at a real key inflection point mm-hmm. in American Christianity, at least. Yeah. I'm, I'm different elsewhere in the world, but we're living through not just an incremental shift, but a major shift yeah. in the way people engage their faith. I mean, as we read any of the sort of information coming out of any of the studies around this, this is a a huge moment in what um, Christianity is going to look like in the United States. And um, it has implications all over the place. And uh, 
So I don't know what that, I mean, there's a sense of responsibility, a bit of sense of awe, a bit of sense of fear, and also hopefully a sense of hope because um, all of that's happening right now. Well, let's, let's stay on that theme and, and frame this way. What do, your, what do you hope for at least American Christianity then? Yeah, I'm going to, if it's okay, I'm going to just read a few sentences yeah, from, yeah, do it. from the book on that because, um, so I think that letting go of property can be freeing. Relinquishing control can be life-giving to others. Giving land back can be deeply healing. And redeveloping can be restorative. Repurposing church property is a chance to do something new. It allows us to think differently, to see more vividly, listen more deeply, and love more fully. It's an opportunity to take the good news outside the Sunday worship service. The transition of church property is one of the largest issues facing the church today. It is also one of our greatest opportunities. Yes, churches, buildings, and property will be gone. Of this, there is no doubt. But I'm incredibly hopeful that new and good things will emerge and that they will be gone for good. That's good. Let's leave, let's leave it there. So I always leave folks with a word of peace. So may God's peace be with you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romick-Levitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.